I'm Scott Paul, and this is the Manufacturing Report. It was never a question of whether we would make these in the United States, and it was never a question of whether we would look for our papers and our inks and our craftsmen would help us make these various editions in the United States. It is the United States. For some companies, keeping it made in America is an added perk to a fully formed business plan. But for Field Notes, producing the company's notebooks in America's paper mills and printers wasn't a choice. It was the central founding concept of their business. Founded in 2006, Field Notes distills the distinctly American aesthetic of the agrarian memo books of the past into inventive paper products for today. How Field Notes is celebrating America's printing history and reinventing the notebook, next on the Manufacturing Report. Jim, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Scott. So, Field Notes, first of all, I know what these are because I was raised in rural Indiana, not too far from Chicago, and they were a familiar part of my life. And with DeKalb or Funk on the cover, and it reminds me of just tasseling corn in the summer in the cornfields and seeing those at the grain elevator and elsewhere. But for folks who don't know, and we'll get into the product that you're designing and making, but how did this get started? What were field notes in the first place? Well, I'll tell the sort of start story quickly and then get into your observation because it's germane to the entire discussion, I think. Kudal Partners in Chicago was a pretty typical and successful design consultancy for many years. We designed logos and web pages and billboards and TV commercials for lots of big brands. And uh, we also had a pretty good following on the web. And a friend of mine is another designer who's in Portland. His name is Aaron Draplin. And um, one Christmas, Aaron made some notebooks by hand that looked relatively similar to our current product field notes. He made a couple hundred of them, and he sent them out to his friends as a holiday present. He sent them to me. Luckily, I have a friend of his. And he called me and said, what do you think of my goofy notebooks? And I said, I don't think they're so goofy, Aaron. And so we talked a little bit, and about a week later, we had a little website up, and we printed 500 three-packs of these little notebooks. And this was before social media, for the most part, and Kudal Partners had a very popular blog online, and Aaron had a very popular blog online with the design community. We put them up for sale in a few weeks, and the first day, we made 13 sales. And we started to think, well, maybe this is uh, maybe this isn't so silly. And so gradually, we both had other client work to do and lots of other things. This side project turned into a real project, and eventually, it turned into a fairly big real project that we started to fire our clients so that we would have more time to work on the project. And by now, here ten years later, we haven't done a lick of work for a client in about seven or eight years. And field notes is really the only thing we do. So. We must have hit a chord with the American public. Our original customers were mostly design-centric people, people who followed us as designers, but it didn't take long before we were getting orders placed from all kinds of places, barbershops and menswear shops and bookstores and all kinds of bait shops, all kinds of places. And I think it's because the notebooks are very well designed. There's a great attention to detail. They're made in the United States from American ingredients. 
and they are practical, and they are affordable. These are hard-working little notebooks. You don't need to write an ode to a Grecian urn in these notebooks. <laughs> you could just write milk, eggs, vodka, or whatever your shopping list is, you know, in those. And gradually, we expanded the line, and we can talk a little bit later about how we have expanded it. But I want to go back to what you said. Yeah, so there had to be something that inspired you to do this in the first place, because there's a ton of notebooks out there. But this is a very specific idea. Yes. And it, back in the early 1900s and later, seed companies and fence companies and tractor companies would make these little notebooks as promotional items and give them to farmers. And frequently it would be by, as you mentioned, funk seeds would be this beautiful notebook that they created. And on the bottom it would say, Bill Smith, Autumna, Iowa. It would be a co-op notebook. So the local seed guy or the local grain elevator guy would give these out as promotional items. And farmers would use them to write down days that things were planted or things they needed to get when they were at the supply store or how they wanted to divvy up their acreage among different crops and those sort of things. And they always really caught our attention. We have hundreds and hundreds of these from various companies from various places all over the United States. And they always struck us as A, practical, and B, the design was simple and unsophisticated and yet beautiful and as a living object. And so that is the actual inspiration for the Field Notes brand. It's sort of harking back to earlier agricultural American design and, importantly, vintage or out-of-fashion printing techniques and techniques for you know, either screening printing or letterpress printing or all these various techniques that are not necessarily just the four-color printing. So it was never a question of whether we would make these in the United States. And it was never a question of whether we would look for our papers and our inks and our craftsmen who would help us make these various editions in the United States. It is the United States. There was no option for us to do anything. So all of our printed material is made in the United States, much of it in the Midwest. So that was just automatic. I mean, you didn't even think about, like, what no, are sourcing not, options. You're no. like, this has to be done here. Yeah, I mean, it seemed to be, I mean, this is really about the history of American practical design and American printing techniques and the printing craft of American craftsmen and craftswomen in the United States. So we, it was really never an option. There's, it becomes more difficult with things like pens and pencils because lots of them are not even really made in the United States or ones that would be up to the quality that we want or the customizability that we want. But for our paper goods, we have complete control. And of course, paper goods makes up 95% of the things that we sell. Sure. We source the paper where we can from smaller paper mills or from paper mills that have a long tradition, people like French paper in Niles, Michigan, and old school paper mills like Mohawk and different places and the inks as well. And another interesting part of the Made in the USA story is that we do lots of different editions, and many of them need sort of different kind of printers to do them. For example, we did an edition a few years ago in which we wanted to hand letterpress from wood type. And wood type, people are familiar with, I think, with metal type, old school metal type. You've seen the little counters of the letters and right, stuff that get right. pressed into there. But wood type was used 
primarily for larger format things like posters, like county fair posters or a local concert poster or a circus poster, those sort of things. And I want to stop you there just for a second because I know exactly what you're talking about. I ran for the state legislature and I went to a small place that still made those in rural Indiana and saw them right on. do it. And it was just like, right it, was a remark- it was like stepping back like 30 or 40 years in time and, and watching this process. Yes. And we want to take those processes and redo them where we can do them authentically the way that we can. Well, it so happens in Two Rivers, Wisconsin, there's a place called the Hamilton Wood Type and Printing Museum, and they have collected examples of wood type from all over the country, from the whole history of the United States, and they have working presses. And they also, like many institutions who are not-for-profit, are looking to raise funds. So we made a deal with them in which they printed, we did the wood type lockups at their place, and they printed the covers for us on a 1920s single operator pull and push letterpress, woodpress press. And of course, we needed to print hundreds of thousands of them. So it did take them about six months. But that's the kind of thing. There's a company in Indiana that still does gilding, which is gilding is what you'd see if you looked at a Gideon's Bible and you'd look at the edge of the pages and they would be gilded with gold, for example. There's only one company who does that in America still. They're in a Indianapolis. We hired them to gild some notebooks for us. And so we're always trying to go back to previous printing and design techniques. And where we can't do it exactly, we try to reproduce it honestly. We don't muck things up in Photoshop and make things look like they're worn out We or make things look like they're screwed up. We screw them up. So it's kind of a exercise in saving pieces of sort of practical printing and American production techniques. So like you said, there was never a decision to decide, should we make these in China or should we make them in the United States? That never, ever came up. That was, that's not what the Field Notes brand is about. Yeah. So I'm happy to, happy to talk to you about this because I'm sure there's other companies who have the same story. I will say that, you know, in the course of doing this podcast, we've come across a wide variety of companies that have a commitment to sourcing locally and to having high quality. And you and Aaron are right in the middle of that. And obviously, you've grown the brand from the original 13 that you sold on the first day with a, <laughs> with a, with a very simple design into a, a lot of different ways. And one thing that I thought might be interesting is to take the listeners through the process. Like, for instance, I know that you have a National Park Service edition of mm-hmm. some of these notebooks, and you give mm-hmm. part of the proceeds to the National Park Service, which is great. But walk the listeners through, from start to finish, how you actualize this and bring that integrity and intent of your design and your production process. Yeah, that's a really good example of that as well. But let me take, say one thing first is we have a regular line of products, and then four times each year we do a seasonal edition. And the National Parks Edition was our seasonal edition from last summer. And so people can buy these individually from our site or from a network of about 2,500 stores worldwide, but they also can subscribe for a year so that they're sure to receive the four seasonal editions of the year because they always sell out. So when we're talking about National Parks, that, as it turns out, is going to turn into a regular part of our line. But it's an interesting thing. We've Since the beginning, we've done 45 of these seasonal editions in the last 10 years. And so from the beginning, from the very first seasonal edition we did, we always said we have to do something with the national parks. 
but we never found exactly the right thing to do. The National Parks has their own passport program, so we didn't want to do something with that. We never found exactly the right thing to do. And then an artist collective called 59 Parks started to do this series of posters. And the artwork they were doing for the posters was completely reminiscent of the WPA posters that were made for the national parks in the 30s and 40s. The ephemera from the national parks of posters and cards and booklets has a great history of American art and a real authentic feel that you still feel when you go into the parks and you see the signage and you see the posters. And so we said, aha, this is the way to do a National Parks Edition. And we contacted them and we made a deal with them to license the artwork from this variety of artists in order to do each individual notebook would have illustration of one of the national parks on the cover. We've done 12 parks so far. And the interesting thing that relates to what we were just talking about is the printing process. Now, it's really easy to take a four-color illustration and to put it through a four-color press and slap a four-color image on a white piece of paper, and it looks really nice, but we didn't want to do that. We looked at the artwork for these national parks, and we isolated a particular color in each national park that was prevalent in that. And instead of printing on white, what we did is we specced paper from the French paper company in Niles, Michigan, and the value of the colored paper was roughly equivalent to one of the colors in the illustration. And then, this is going to be a little printing nerdery, but I'm going to go for it anyhow, is we laid down white ink on this colored paper in all the places in which we did not want the color of the paper to shine through the illustration. And then we laid four-color ink on top of the white. So if the primary color was, for example, in our Grand Tetons National Park, the primary color is this sort of sage green. The field notes, the logo on the cover is in sage green, but it's not sage green ink on white paper. It is the color of the green paper itself shining through the illustration in much the same way that a screen printer would do that when making a poster. And what it gave the illustrations was this sort of old-school, Boy Scouty, archival, ephemera feel of a previous printing process, which blends beautifully with the history of design of materials for the national parks. So they've been wildly popular. Americans love their national parks. And I will say that by the time we had done this, there is no email that we had received more than the email that says, hey, you guys should do a National Parks Edition. So when we finally launched it, it's been wildly popular. And we're happy to be working with these fantastic artists yeah. and supporting them. And also 5% of our retail sales is going directly to the National Park Service. So we feel like it's a virtuous circle here. We're all working on this together. Our customers love the notebooks. Artists are being supported for their work, and we are supporting land protection and acquisition for the National Park Service as well. So that's a really good example of using a modern printing technique in a way that harkens back to a previous technique that works well with this edition. Yeah, your, your customers are getting something that is both functional and utilitarian and yep. also is a work of art yep. that is incredibly evocative. And I'm just thinking, like, when you go into a national park and you go into the gift store as well, one of the things that I, I like to get, that I see, I, I always look to see the refrigerator magnets or they made in America, 
But the best ones are always kind of the vintage yes. posters that they had. I know exactly, yes. you know exactly what I'm talking about here, but that's what you're trying to evoke mm -hmm. with right, all of these right. as well. Yeah, and it's not nostalgic in some way. It sure. is more reproducing the actual artwork and technique in which the artwork was produced. Yeah, so exactly. it's like, yeah. it's a little bit, at least to us. And we've done that dozens of times with various different Printing process, hot foil, metallic foil, embossing, letterpress printing, like you name it. We've done all these various different techniques and many times done them on old machines, you know, and able to make it the way, instead of let's make it look like it was made a long time ago, our idea is let's make it the way they made it a long time ago. Yeah. So, which, I don't know, maybe we're splitting hairs, but it allows us to learn you know, and it allows, we hope, our customers to learn a little bit about the history of American printing and commercial design. So we feel like for us, it's quite satisfying to do it that way and can make enough of them now that we can drive the cost per piece down so that we can make a little margin on these things. At the beginning, it was a little more difficult because, as anybody knows, if you print a hundred of something, each one costs a fortune. But if you sure. print a hundred thousand of them, each one costs hardly anything. Yeah, so, the unit cost is very low, right? Exactly right. Exactly right. So, and we have, we have tens of thousands of people who subscribe, and we have zillions of people who buy from our stores and buy from us direct. So, yeah, it's uh, yeah, fun. Jim. Yeah, I I wanted to ask you about that because you, you said at the top that once you know you and Aaron had done this collaboration and on the third day, first day. You sold 13 of these, and it was mostly to, it sounds like, the design community. So yes. you have, you know, thousands upon thousands of subscribers now. What, what's your fan base like these days? They're all over the place, really. It's sort of like that old metaphor of um, throwing a pebble into the middle of a still lake and watching the ripples go outwards. I think that our original ripple was the design community, but it didn't take long before people who we would get emails from people like, oh, my God, my grandfather always had notebooks like this. Or we're so glad that you guys are making these in the United States. And so it's hard to say that the typical customer, I think there's a lot of us, I think, in the world that are getting a little tired of tapping onto these slabs of glass that we have in our hands all the time. And there's an interesting phenomenon that when you actually write something down, how that imprints it on your brain in a way that tapping it into a computer doesn't or a phone doesn't. The tagline for Field Notes was from my grandfather. My grandfather, Nels, was a railroad worker and a cab driver in Chicago in the 20s. And I lived with him for a while after my grandmother died. And he was always making notes on little scraps of paper. He would take a little piece of the newspaper out and he'd write a little note on it. And I said to him one time, I said, Gramps, why are you making the notes on these papers? You know you're just going to lose them. And he said these words that became our tagline. He said, I'm not writing it down to remember it later. I'm writing it down to remember it now. <laughs> Meaning that the actual physical act of writing it down and print something on your brain in a way that typing it into an email does it. And we have actually seen studies that students who take notes by hand at a lecture as opposed to students who just type in what the lecturer is saying into their laptop, do much better. Yeah. And that's because if you're taking notes, you are processing the information and deciding what's important as you take the notes. You can't write fast enough to write everything down. If it just comes in your ears and goes out your fingers, you're not making any judgment about what you're writing down, and so you don't remember it as well. 
So it aids in the retention. That makes perfect sense. I think so, yeah. So, yeah, so we do we have uh, customers all over the world, actually, and tons, mostly in America, but all over the world. We sort of coincided with the rise of small American manufacturing in areas like men's fashion and things like that. There's all these stores that companies that make boots and companies that make leathers and denims and stuff. Right, right. We didn't know what we were doing, but we just happened to wind up in that. And so we saw that the original stores and stuff that were buying from us were, sure, there was bookstores and gift shops and that sort of thing, but they were also men's fashion stores and little curated shops of uh, regionally interesting objects. And so we really concentrated. About 80% of our stores are mom and pop operations as opposed to chains and that sort of thing. So it's not to say that we don't like to be available in college bookstores. Of course we do. And in regular bookstores and all those sort of places. But we seem to have found a home in people who are careful in the products they curate for their shop tend to see that we're careful in how we make the products. And so it seems to be a good fit for us. And it's amazing to me, maybe not so for you because you've seen this market, but that in this age of where everything is digitized and homogenized and globalized, that there is a strong segment of consumers who really do value that hands-on local experience. And there's something, I think, about Field Notes that is incredibly relatable and maybe even emotional Mm -hmm. to folks where, as you said, it is vintage, but it's authentic, right? It's not just Mm -hmm. taking advantage of the nostalgia, but it is something that's tangible and is thoughtful and is locally crafted. And I'm glad to see that there's a market for that and that you are succeeding in it. Me too. (laughs) Me too. I think the, the other component in that is we are really quite transparent in our communications. We talk about how we did our failures and our successes, talked about how we made something, our enthusiasm for learning new things, I think, comes through in the marketing materials we do and the films we make to support our various editions. We sort of think of the four seasonal editions we do every year as four chances to really dive into something we don't know about and learn about them. Yeah. I could go on forever, but we did last two springs ago, we did a thing called the Dime Novel Edition. And it was based on these two brothers, the Beetle Brothers, B-E-A-D-L-E, who basically invented the American genre paperback industry in New York City in the 1860s. And there's a long story about how that happened and made, it had to do with technology and the development of a thing called the Power Press. At that time, the only two ways to do anything at scale were hardcover book publishing, where you could make thousands of them that would take forever or the newspaper industries where you could make millions of them, but you needed a factory as big as, you know, a a huge press and victory. So these guys started doing these genre paperbacks. And I had stumbled on this story completely down a different rabbit hole about typography and printing. And we had a meeting here and realized that we didn't know anything about this critical moment in the development of the American paperback industry. And so We had three months to just get up to speed, to dive into the pool and learn everything we can. And we talked to university librarians and we bought way too expensive versions of things that used to cost a dime. And we reproduced to our best of our abilities the physical format and the printing process that went into the dime novel editions. And so that's a great example where we have this opportunity to learn something new 
and hopefully communicate that to our audience as well as sell them a lot of notebooks. So it's <laughs> yeah. like for us, like that is the perfect addition is when we can uncover something we don't know or something we know a little about and learn a lot about it. And we've done that time and time again. We did a, a cooperation with NASA last year and we've done lots of other interesting printing techniques. We did some craftsman-like embossing and debossing this fall, which was very fun to see these old guys who are gradually being replaced by computer-controlled lathes, but can't be completely replaced because so much of it is in the feel and the technique and the craft that they have. So Exactly, yeah. We just felt great that we could employ them and to learn from them. And the product, I think, shows our enthusiasm and their expertise and that's that's like the perfect sort of addition that we can do and, but we also do silly stuff too which is fun so that's you it's know. you, you got to have that balance yeah right so jim you took an Aaron, an idea you mm-hmm. actualized it you obviously were helped by the fact that you are an incredible designer that has done amazing work in that space you adjusted your career and your business mm-hmm. so that this fit well within it if not become a central part of it I will say we get a lot of people who have ideas like, I would love to make this in America or to try to do this, you know, and there's obviously a thousand ways to try and and some are going to fail, some are going to make it. But what's something that you know now that you wish you had known 10 or 15 years ago when all of this started that an entrepreneur or a wannabe maker in America Right. benefit from the simplest thing of all and i know lots of people who worked in more traditional design and advertising jobs who've gone on to create their own things they have become musicians they have created lines of products they have created software products they have created clothing and shoes and people who have done exactly what you said who have started their own business on the side and it gradually replaced their other business and every single one of them to a woman all the way down the line always say the same thing. They say, I should have done this earlier. People are afraid to take a chance and there's an opportunity. There's 24 hours in the day and you got to sleep for eight of them, but there's time. You got to make time in your life to pursue the things that you want to do. If you're telling me that, oh, I'm only going to do work on this project after hours when I can, you're telling me I'm afraid. Hmm. And I think that If you believe in something and it gives you satisfaction, you should treat it with the same amount of importance as you treat your regular work. Now, I know that's not possible for everybody, but if you're a designer or writer or whatever, and you want to do your own thing, then you should treat it like a paying client. It shouldn't be an afterthought because that's how you're going to find out if it's going to work or not. And I think everybody learns that lesson one way or another, but every person I've ever talked to said, you know, I screwed around with this for two years before I started. I wish I had those two years back so I could be two years farther down the line. Just don't wait. Yeah. Yeah. Just don't wait. And you know, if you, if you, especially if you're young, because if you fail and it all goes up in flames, that's a badge of honor. Sure. Like that's, you know what I mean? Like failure is a badge of honor as a young person. It gets more difficult when you have children and mortgages and other things. Right. But, right. You know, if you make a great product and your passion for that product comes through, there's somebody on the other end who appreciates that and will reward you by buying that product. And even better, they will tell other people about your product. Jim Kudel, president and co-founder of Field Notes, thanks for joining us on the Manufacturing Report. 
You're welcome, Scott. That will do it for the Manufacturing Report this week. To learn more about Field Notes, you can visit fieldnotesbrand.com. And you can find their passionate fan community, Field Nuts, on Facebook as well. And if you are a Field Nut yourself or if you've started your own Field Notes collection, we'd love to see them. Share a photo with us at American Manufacturing on Instagram. As always, I want to thank AAM staff and Cat Adams in particular for their work to make this episode possible. And for you, the listeners, for engaging and for giving us great episode ideas. Be sure to subscribe to The Manufacturing Report on Spotify or wherever you find your podcasts. And please let us know what you think by leaving a review and a rating. You can find us online at AmericanManufacturing.org. You can follow us on Facebook or Instagram. And you can connect with us on Twitter at Keep It Made in USA. I'm Scott Paul, and until next time, together we can keep it made in America.